I spent a lot of time on Sundays in the local Episcopal church growing up in northern Maine. The people there also act on their faith in the larger community, though they put more rules on themselves about what that looks like and how they do that. Both of these buildings and congregations are dear to me and offered me a place of light in times of inner darkness. I often say I'm a blessed child upon the planet. However, my childhood, like I'm sure many children today and possibly many of you, was what was full of what is now known as ACEs or adverse childhood experiences. But going to church gave me access to a kind and supportive people, including my grandmother McCready, who taught Sunday school there for 48 years. She was full of faith in the God of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel and a Jesus who was without sin and died on the cross so that she could live. She had so much faith it overflowed into me and I accepted her beliefs as my own until I went to college and my intellect started to sow doubts along with the call that that beloved grandmother had been diagnosed with a brain tumor the size of a grapefruit. Post-surgery in the ICU, my grandmother felt beset by demons like Jesus' 40 days in the desert. She felt she was tempted and tortured, but she had our minister's cross pinned to her pillow, and she clung to it in her faith as she fought and eventually failed to regain her health. It's upon her death that my faith, like her life, is extinguished. For a decade, I have no rituals or firm beliefs that I can define, though I was a confirmed Episcopalian. I didn't feel that I had questioned and examined what made me feel connected to God. Then I read the novel, A Soldier of the Great War, by Mark Halperin, and looking for a higher power, I read the main character Alessandro's defense of his own faith. He tells his friends that belief does not require proof. It is the lack of proof that is the testament of faith. Alessandro goes on to say, to see the beauty of the world is to put your hands on the lines that run uninterrupted through life and through death. Touching them is an act of hope. For perhaps someone on the other side, if there is another side, is touching them too. As an artist, I saw beauty everywhere. And I realized I could just decide to believe in something larger than myself. And suddenly I understood that Bible verse that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains that nothing will be impossible for me. Yet I continue to search. I join a spiritual group of people who identify as Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Wiccan, agnostic, and they share a meal and different ways of searching for meaning every other week. It's during that time that I begin to define for myself what God is for me. I come to believe in an infinite energetic fabric of light and love, not dissimilar to this scarf, and that each of us are woven into it and connected both here and here. Maybe the members of South Church are here. Maybe the Jewish temple down the street is here. Maybe the Buddhist temple is over here. And the people sleeping at home or doing the Sunday crossword along with the animals and plants are all woven into the fabric. And I do my best not to rip holes where I am because I understand how my pulling of a thread can affect the whole fabric. 
It is with this group of searchers that I hear a story that resonated with me of a past life regression. A woman burdened with fear that she is never enough has a constant drive for success, and yet she feels she never achieves it. During a past life regression, she is five and holding her parents' hands, running through the snow toward a forest. She knows that she's loved. She's excited and scared. And then they are all shot in the back by the Nazis from the train. She recognizes that her whole life's purpose was to be present and hold the hand of her parents when they died. The simple act of holding someone's hand is enough to have accomplished for a lifetime. She understands that she is enough and that we meet our purpose without striving. After taking in this story, I start to think that my soul is here for a purpose too, one I may not be conscious of, but instead I ordered before being born, like ordering from a menu in a foreign language. It sounded really interesting, but not entirely clear what you're going to get. And years later, in yoga class, I'll do a Sankalpa workshop that will define my purpose for me as a child creating and spreading beauty and love in the world. But that doesn't stop me from buying into the messages that I got in my childhood around shame and not being enough. Like many others, I too forget that I am light. I am the God on the inside from the opening hymn. But unlike many, I was given a gift after my cancer surgery all of the positive thoughts and prayers that I'd asked people for, I felt them in my body. It was so overwhelming to me to feel so much love flowing to me. It felt peaceful and full of joy all at the same time. I began to call it being held in the hand of God. And this feeling stayed with me for over a week. And at one point I turned to Paula and I asked, do you think it's the drugs? <laughs> But I was only on Tylenol, so it was something else. <laughs> However, I remember when the fear crept back in, when my heart stopped being wide open and I felt like I was getting a little bit smaller. I was having a conversation and the person I was speaking with felt the need to hold tightly to their point of view. I was trying to share from this big, wide, open space. And suddenly it felt as if I disagreed, I would be at risk. In that moment, again, using the words from that first song, I forgot I was not the voices in my head. I am light. It happened before the surgeon said that even with the chemotherapy, I, most, I like most people with stage three ovarian cancer diagnosis at that time, had only a 20% chance of seeing five years, which gave me a chance to hold my beliefs very closely to my heart and recognize that I, like everyone, would die. I didn't know when, I didn't know how, but if I believed in my soul's purpose, I would have the time that my soul needed. It could be five months, it could be five years, or it could be 50. What mattered most was to be present, and then my question became, what do I do with today? So while I was sick, I cooked for my best friend, I planned a mural for children at a bookstore in Concord. I listened when people spoke to me. When my lifespan felt under threat, it was somehow easier to be my best self, to be present, to show up. I was lucky enough to stay with Paula 
through treatment, and so many wonderful people in the Seacoast New Hampshire community supported me and helped my healing. I hadn't been so great at receiving in my life before that, but having cancer taught me that the other side of the coin of generosity requires grateful acceptance. In a strange way, I think my acceptance of the inevitable also helped me to heal. I was no longer worrying about the overwhelming knowledge that death was coming for me. Instead, I was concentrated fully on healing and living. I chose to have the chemotherapy and incorporate every healthy recommended alternative that I could afford. But I decided that I wanted to be generous with my time and attention. Since I wouldn't be leaving children behind, I wanted to leave a different legacy. I wanted to fulfill my son Kalpa. The next year, having settled in New York with my boyfriend Simon, I turned my hand and mind to creating a garden to feed our bodies and souls, planting seeds and beds close together, watching how birds and plants and insects work together in harmony as I watched my cancer markers go up and down. I also volunteered at the Woodstock Writers Festival and connected with a famous writer who encouraged me to write about my journey with cancer and she connects me to a creative community there. Here too, when my life in New York is beginning to feel full, in the following spring, I go to Kerpalu and I listen to a childhood friend give the equivalent of a TED talk on positive psychology. After her presentation, we talk late into the night. Maria challenges me to share my experience during surgery with others in a talk like hers. She suggested that I talk to all of you. <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> So instead, with her help in reminding me that I might fail, that that would be okay, because I'd have tried my best, <laughs> I created the Gathering Goodness Mosaic and launched it on Kickstarter, proposing a large mosaic of 108 paintings, because it's the number of beads on a mala, as well as a holy number in several faiths. And the project was to be a painted meditation. I hope to string together the submissions into some sort of whole. But before I talk about that project, I have a confession. The truth is, I'm not always great at resilience. Sometimes I get caught in the darkness of a political climate, the state of global warming, an offhanded comment I overhear about my outfit or my art. Witnessing these injustices and things can take me down a bad path. I give up on myself until my heart becomes black and blue. Sometimes I put everyone else's needs before my own. I forget to reach out, to meditate, to take care of myself. However, the process of making the gathering goodness taught me some valuable insights that I'd like to share with you. When I started the gathering goodness, I was concerned how it would affect my health, the stress of raising money on Kickstarter, of completing 108 paintings in 108 days might not be good for me, but I was wrong. As each pledge, picture, and story came in, I felt that love wrapping around me again. I felt honored that people would share their joys, their love, and how they find peace in the world filled with challenges. My whole being radiated gratitude for these connections. The inspiration of how to depict joy, peace, and love came to me in the form of a photograph submitted by a mother whose 16-year-old daughter, Addie, was about to get her first chemotherapy treatment for leukemia. Addie said, hold my hand, don't let go. And her mother scrambled to find her hand in the sheets, but Addie wanted her brother. And her mother sent that picture saying that the bond of love that her children shares brings her joy and peace. It was possibly my third submission, 
I called Paula. I know how I'm going to do it. I know what I'm going to do. It's all going to be around three sets of hands. Paula said I needed to wait and see what I got. <laughs> Gathering goodness requires community. I couldn't have done it without the 600 photographic submissions that I got, the 450 pages of text, the 90 musical submissions. These offerings filled me up with love and gratitude, and gratitude helps with resilience. Whenever I see the word resilience, for some reason, I think reconnect to silence, to listen to that internal voice, that soul energy that connects me to the rest of the fabric, the voice that other people may think is crazy, but that tells me the next thing to do. Giving myself only 108 days to make 108 paintings that would be five feet by 35 feet long did not leave me a lot of time to argue with myself. This was good. <laughs> I had to trust my instincts and be my best self and truest self and show up. I also needed a routine. Because I have workaholic tendencies and I did my many work many days from 8 a.m. to 2 a.m. to finish in the time that I'd given myself, but to help me to remember to take care of myself, I got a puppy. <laughs> now that may sound crazy, but it was the right solution for me. Having a new Labrador puppy meant that I had to walk outside several times throughout the day. Being in nature helps with resilience. He'd go to the door and want to do his business or get fed, and I'd do the same. <laughs> when I was tired or sad, he was always happy to lick my face or lay on my feet and keep them warm. Studies show that participating in some sort of creative expression helps build resi resilience. So painting around the clock, writing and baking on Mondays, as well as my daily dance while singing to the music submitted by congregant Laura Donovan while I laid out my palette, all helped with my resilience. I learned about forgiveness in a story of a man returning to Vietnam with his father, who was a veteran of that war. I practiced forgiveness for not being perfect and not being able to meet everyone's expectations, but instead listening to that voice pushing me forward, creating a rainbow, a promise of renewal, a promise of a life well lived that in art might stand in for my own one day. The truth was that many of the stories and images that were submitted for the project that were the most moving to me were the ones that contained an element of grief. Sadness, for example, the standing snow angel on the order of service is the same girl who had leukemia. The child alone on the beach reminds me of how I can isolate myself Yet it also echoes a creative child I knew whose parents had just lost her. There were so many stories of loss, the death of siblings, the death of a child, a favorite cousin, a picture of a soldier at the Berlin Wall, described as where freedom and oppression meet. The two wooden angel wings with the rusty nails attached that my writing mentor loaned me. I always thought it must hurt to be an angel, she said, but you'd know. Those wings, to me, looked like the hands coming together in prayer and solved for me the final part of the puzzle of the mosaic. But to her comment, it does hurt to try to always be good. To always be the light because we are denying our human nature, denying the reality of both of those things. We're not necessarily aligning our heads with our hearts. I return to the song that Joanne and Carol so beautifully sang for us at the offertory. 
A video of her Voices of the Heart performing the song at a funeral was submitted to the project. As I watched it, I cried with the sheer beauty of those words sung by so many. For there is a light in the darkness, but the black of the night cannot harm us. For like a yin and yang symbol, there's a dot of dark in the light and a dot of light in the dark. I recently heard that putting our hands together in prayer can be a form of embracing both sides of our nature, the dark and the light, aligning the heart and opening the mind. Or as I say when asking for a prayer from my favorite book, may I feel it in my mind as I know it in my heart, as I speak it on my lips. So when we find ourselves in moments of despair, let us embrace both sides of ourselves. Let us do something creative or kind. Let us reach out for a supportive community. Let us come here to South Church or another place that gives you peace and forgive ourselves for forgetting that we are the light, we are connected, we are the God on the inside, and we are and will be enough.